0: A highlight among the many good sermons I have heard in 2017 was one given here at the cathedral by the Reverend Mary Vano, rector of St. Margaret's Little Rock, on Thanksgiving Day. Mary preached on Luke's account of Jesus healing ten lepers, only one of whom returned to thank him once they all realized that they had been healed she did not draw the usual simple contrast between the one who was grateful for his healing and the nine who were not. Instead, she sees in this story two possible responses to our encounter with God in Christ. On the one hand, we can meet Jesus and experience benefits at his hand without being fundamentally affected. This was the path of the nine who did not return to give thanks. They may even have been thankful for their physical healing, but they did not change their outlook or orientation to life. At least we might imagine that. On the other hand, we can follow the path of the only one who went back to Jesus. Yes, he was thankful, but he wasn't just returning to, to do what good manners dictate. He realized that Jesus had offered him more than physical healing. He was offered a relationship that could transform his life. He was converted to participation in God's saving purpose, not only for himself, but for the world. As Mary Vano put it, through his healing, he became a witness to God's purpose to restore all the world to the love of our Creator. In experiencing God's love in his own life, he realized God's love for the world. What does this have to do with Christmas? A lot, I think. At Christmas, we encounter God in the Christ child, but this encounter can have one of two basic results. On the one hand, we can leave here feeling loved and all warm and fuzzy, and perhaps our life will improve, all of which would be a good thing. On the other hand, our Christmas encounter can lead not only to temporary good feelings, but to a whole new life based on a transforming relationship with our Savior which will offer surprising changes and deep fulfillment beyond anything we can imagine. This second and best path is what David Vryhoff, an Episcopalian monk, referred to when he wrote the following. What good is it that Christ was born in a stable in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago if he is not also born in me? How is Christ to be born in me? You have only to be like Mary, quiet, open-hearted, and receptive to the Spirit at work within you. Say with her, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me, according to your word. This dwelling of Christ within us and we in him, by means of the Holy Spirit, is what being a Christian is all about. In our baptism, we, like our Lord's mother, have already received the gift of the Spirit. Like her, in our baptism, we have already turned our lives over to God's will and to the Lord's direction. When we present ourselves for Holy Communion at this and other Eucharist's we take another extremely serious step. In putting out our hands to receive Christ's body and blood sacramentally, we are reconfirming our baptismal promise to let him be the Lord of our lives, come what may and cost what it will. We offer ourselves to participate in his redeeming work, to minister in his name, in thanksgiving for his priceless gift of himself. We are forgiven, renewed, and strengthened by the Lord to whom we are already committed. And along with our praise and thanksgiving, we offer him nothing less than ourselves, our souls, and bodies to be, as the old liturgy puts it, a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice to him and for him. In choosing holy baptism and holy communion, we choose not the casual, relatively thoughtless path, but rather an ongoing, transforming, life giving relationship. This level of engagement with God can, of course, be scary. We might be sore afraid, like the the shepherds, because it means that we're not in control. Of course, that's good news too. Here, the Blessed Virgin is our model when she responds to God's message from the angel Be it unto me according to your word. Her particular yes to God's direction of her life resulted, of course, in a pregnancy over which expectant mothers then and now have little control. As many of you know from experience, it progresses without the mother directing or even understanding it. The same should be true generally in God's direction of our lives. We cooperate with God, but God takes the lead in bringing what he intends for us to birth, to life. This may seem passive on our part, but it is not. In order to cooperate effectively with God, We must pay regular attention, seeking to discern God's presence in and God's will for our lives in what we call prayer. And this prayer is conversation with God in the broadest sense, which does not always involve words. There's that listening part of prayer and going aside day to day in an odd quiet moment saying here am i the servant of the lord be it to me according to your word what do you have to say to me god you know it uh, is a is a is uh, a vital thing for an ongoing relationship with god mary continued to be good at this as we know from her response to the shepherds testimony about the angelic revelation of the messiah she treasured their words, pondering them in her heart. She didn't have it all figured out, but she trusted that God did have it figured out and that God would continue to reveal his truth and his plan to her. It doesn't all come at once. Even our Lord, we must remember, submitted himself to his heavenly Father's direction and will. Like his mother, he discerned this in prayer, step by step, which led to the fulfillment of God's purpose not only for his life, but for the whole world. Mary and Jesus invite us to give up the worldly illusion that we can control our own lives, and they invite us to submit ourselves to the direction of our Creator, in whose will alone Contrary to the world's logic, we are safe and secure. This level of engagement with God to which we are committed by our baptism and communion clearly requires us to put our egos aside. In other words, we're called to humble ourselves. Again and again in his narrative, Luke highlights God's use of the humble to fulfill his purposes. Mary proclaims that God has put down the mighty from their seat and exalted the humble and meek. That reminds us of Jesus' saying that everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. That was true of Mary, of course. The long-awaited Messiah and king of all the earth is born not in a palace, but in a stable. Those first called to witness and interpret this birth, which was both ordinary and extraordinary, were not the high and mighty, but shepherds who lived outside the boundaries of polite society. Throughout his life, Jesus famously kept company with what the world regarded as the wrong sort of people. We follow a God whose way of approaching people is different than the world's way. He himself, as St. Paul highlighted, took the form of a servant. He made himself vulnerable all the way from the stable to the cross, out of love for the whole world. The root meaning of the word minister is serve. All of us are ministers by virtue of our baptism, called to serve. Just as Christ ministered in humble service, we who follow him are called to do no less. We are to proclaim the good news of God with us and God for us in word and deed to everyone, no exceptions. I think sometimes God very intentionally puts people in our path so that we can offer our unique ministry uh, to to, uh, a given person. Scripture tells us that we might suffer for this in various ways, but it also tells us again and again in the Christmas story and elsewhere, in the old language, fear not. It says that 365 times in the Bible, I'm told. Fear not. Great news. Our discipleship will unsettle our lives and often put us at odds with the world at large, but this way of the stable This way of the cross is the only true way of life and peace. The resurrection is our ultimate assurance of this, that that kind of sacrifice leads to life. We will see God in the midst of the ordinary and even in the darkest, most unexpected places. Walking my dog the other day, I was thinking of a friend for whom the gospel doesn't make much sense, for whom Jesus is at best a historical or even mythical figure. What does he have to do with me? I imagine her asking. I have never encountered him. This highlights the task of those of us who not only have met him through faith, but who have chosen to unite our life to his life in baptism and who eat and drink with him at his table. We have something absolutely wonderful and joyous to proclaim, that God is indeed here in the flesh. We receive that awesome presence sacramentally and wonder of wonders. We embody that presence as we go forth from this place as the body of Christ, to proclaim not only on Christmas Day, but every day, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Thanks be to God.